listening to Right Where You're Sitting Now. Hello and welcome to episode 58 of Right Where You're Sitting Now, a belated episode 58 due to some time difficulties in terms of uh, time zones, I should say. I, can, I messed up a couple of times with our guest today who is uh, from Alaska. Um, anyway, joining me in the hot seat is a newcomer, a newcomer to sitting now, but uh, an old timer in my uh, in my life, I should say. Um, a cultist, um, Doctor Who fan, um, lover of uh, all things sort of seventies. Would you say? Not all things. I mean, I draw the line at flares, uh, uh, platform shoes. <laughs> And um, and quite a few other things besides. But uh, yes, Mr. Mark Foster is joining us, and hopefully this will be the first of uh, first of a few appearances, Mr. Foster. That's right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. That, that's M A R C K. I just like to make that point. <laughs> anyway, today we are um, we are doing a episode on a very mysterious character. Um, I don't know. How would you even describe him? He's uh... well, um, well. I, mean, I suppose he's the archetypal immortal adept who sort of um, made his way through Europe and the crowned heads of of, of the, 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 you know the, the world. Yeah, he's a uh, possibly immortal, possibly a vampire, possibly. Possibly a legend, or a, a legend is like whatever he is. He's he's a legend as well as, mm. but that, but you know that you know don't you know the, a myth is a very powerful thing, so not to be scoffed at. No. So let's uh, let's go and talk to our guest, um, Miss Jesse Desmond, Ms. or Miss. I wasn't quite sure. Or Mrs. For all we know, um, we didn't actually ask her. We should have done. Um, um, but uh, we're, today we are talking about. The Count Saint Germain. That's right. Yeah, it, that, that uh, Saint Germain, the quest for the count. This is how I'm. This is this. Is, if it, if this was a, this was a headline, that would be it. This would be the. Uh, I this, think. I think you've just found us the, the title for our show this week, Mister Foster. There we go. The quest for the count, indeed. So yes, let's roll over to the interview now, and uh, see where it takes us. Hello, Jesse Desmond. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Um, could you give us a brief biography of yourself, please? Sure. Um, I live in Fairbanks, Alaska, which is kind of in the center of the state. Um, I have two degrees. One is in 2D animation, and the other one is in uh, kind of modern history. I did my my thesis paper on Vlad Dracula. Um and I have been doing, I'm a paranormal researcher, by the way. Um, I've been doing that for 20-something years now. Um, you know, it, I started out with ghosts, kind of moved away from there, went to UFOs, and I got in with MUFON for a while, and I was a state director um, for a couple of years, and... I just 
I just had a Bigfoot expo here in town. <laughs> so uh, we had um, like Adam Davies was up and stuff. And one of my one of my passions has actually been researching Count St. Germain for like the last uh, how long has it been? 22 years or something, 23 years, some, something like that. It's been a long time. So a huge body of information you must have gathered over that that time. And one of the, I mean, uh, you got a, a, a little ooh of excitement from me there. It, the uh, the the uh, Dracula sort of reference because it, it um, there is, I understand, some sort of connection with Transylvania, or suppose connection if we can with Germain and uh, Transylvania. And um, but we'll we'll get into that first. I think oh, okay. what we should do is um, uh, assume that no one. No one knows anything about the Count Saint Germain, and could you give us a, a bit of a of an overview of 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 who this guy is and why he would be, you know, of of note to a show like ours, I suppose. <laughs> okay. Well. Um, okay. So when it comes to Count Saint Germain, he's always depicted as this guy who's anywhere between like kind of 40 to about 55 years old kind of depends on who the person is and the relationship towards them. Uh, it seems like, you know, there, there's people who are friendly towards him and they kind of make them sound a little younger. And then there's people who are kind of anti count and he is, uh, they, they depict him as being a little older. So, um, but it's all in the same, it's all in the same age group. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, he's always about, I guess about 45 to 50, if you really want to narrow it down. So he's, he's around that age. Uh, and he kind of starts, he shows up in the scene, I should say, he shows up uh, around 1710, uh, being this, this age. And then he supposedly dies in 1784 but kind of keeps showing up until modern times mm. and, so and, and his influence as a as a character you know that 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 still has you know has had lots of uh, cultural sort of reference points as well doesn't it uh, I mean, yeah, he, um, he, he he's like really familiar with all the heads of state of like across europe um I even found like a Ben Franklin connection with him and like, you know, a lot of people are, a lot of people say, Oh, was this guy real? He, he was, he was real. Um, he wrote, he composed a lot of music. Um, he was musically, he, he was considered to be a, a rival to Handel and he's published a little bit of, a little bit of written work um, he was a French diplomat. He was arrested by uh, Horace Walpole. And like he just, he was just all over the board. And he's fascinating. He, the more you get to know, the more questions come up. And, and he just, he really seems to have no beginning and no end. Yeah, I mean, that's the, f the fascinating thing. I was saying to you earlier before we started recording that this has actually been one of the toughest um you know question lists or you know kind of uh, preparations i've had to do because there's so much information and we, we could just start at any point 
almost and we still wouldn't know where it begins and where it ends and it's like ah it's a bit of a of a mind screwer this one <laughs> but uh so let's um let's try and figure out who he is a little bit so what what do we know about his kind of his his youth uh we really don't know much about his youth actually um because it's all we, we don't know when he was when he was young is that's that's what it, it boils down to um we don't know who his parents were we don't know where he's from uh because count saint germain was not his real name and he he told people this just straight up like man that's not my name like that's a fake name but that's the name i'm giving you uh he had a lot of different monikers that he that he used um so it's that in itself makes it real hard to track him down yeah so one of the things that's kind of interesting so there are some theories aren't there as to who his parents may be i was wondering if you could go through some of those because there's quite a few <laughs> okay so if if you go by jean Ful- jean overton fuller's thoughts um she thought that he was kind of like this lost prince from the Rakotsi family uh, out of transylvania and basically like they kind of sent away one of their kids, you know, to go live with some people, (laughs) uh, elsewhere. And, you know, he just kind of grew up, I guess you could say. And, and just, um, I don't know, finally appeared on the scene and because of his, his connections royally, then he, he kind of just knew people. Mm. Um, and could conduct himself in those circles in the, you know, in the, you know, in a way that it would be acceptable and recognisable by that culture, no doubt. Do you think the, the, the Transylvanian connection and the, and the connection with monarchy in that part of the world, is that one of the, is that a fact? Can we say that is an absolute, you know, sort of picking out the bones of the, 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 the character, the, the legend of uh, St. Germain, which has sort of seduced, the imagination and seduced the, you know, the, um, the that, that's part of the mythology, isn't it? Or, or is is that is the Transylvanian connection? Are you confident as somebody who's spent such a long time sort of focusing on him uh, and researching him? Uh, do you do you think that's a, a, a you know a credible thing? Um, I think it's possible, but I I can't say for sure if that that's like a solid thing. I don't have, I don't have enough, um, I don't have enough reference material to support it. So even something like that is, you know, even then it's, there's like sort of veils of sort of mystery still. It's even, you know, it's very difficult to, you know, it's a bit like very difficult to see what, what firm ground there is. I mean, the most famous thing about him, the figure of St. Germain is, uh, is this um, immortal adept, uh, you know, is um, lived for centuries and um, hobnobbed with uh, the great and the good in the present, in his present, I should say, and also throughout history, like Moses and, you know, ancient Egypt gets thrown in and all these other things. That's the that's the figure that's walked down the centuries to us. And in a way, you know, that that um, 
the the mythic elements of Saint Germain that has in a funny kind of way whatever the reality of the man he has sort of um, he has an immortality because we're sat here now in the the year twenty twenty one and we're 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 talking about him and still mystified and still sort of seduced by that uh, that talk that story that fable. Well, you know, part of it is. Um... He just never ages, you know, and that's that kind of that gets me like he does. He he always seems to remain about the same uh, when it comes to looks and all that. And, you know, he he always says, you know, like, hey, I knew these people way back when. So he might have had some kind of Transylvania connection. He might have known these people, but. I I just can't I just can't believe that he was that like some rene like renegade prince or whatever that uh, happened to turn out to be like this incredible genius I I don't know it just something about it there's there's just not enough an, an educated cultured man has enough source material for it yeah yeah. Yeah, I mean, you got you you elicited a little squeal of um, excitement out of me when you mentioned um, the Vlad, uh, you know, and the Dracula connection because you know there yeah. again, there's a kind of uh, there's a Transylvanian who was who <laughs> who is an immortal sort of uh, character and also you know of the monarchy and um, and I wonder if uh, Bram Stoker was influenced. Because you know they are there are these cultural influence you know these connections with other things. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, like um, I was just recently reading um, uh, Conan Doyle's um, the the Ring of Foth short story, and that's about an immortal an immortal adept essentially so from from ancient Egypt who lives into the Victorian age, which was the present age at the time. I think it was eighteen ninety. It was. It was first published, and um, you know that that's that's a very similar figure. As a you know, that's a very similar figure. It was also thought that he might be um, a Spanish prince. And I haven't found any. I haven't found anything to really back up that theory. Um, what else? I saw uh, one theory that it said, that said he might be the. Uh, I think this might be one of the crazy. I am. Um, spin-off people but they said they thought he might be a uh uh like a a bastard son of elizabeth the first as well uh i've heard that i've heard something along those lines um i heard that he might be like francis bacon or (laughs) something like that Yeah, yeah um tom sleeman who actually got me started um with all of this back in 1998 with his book, strange, but true, um, which is just like, it's a collection of stories that that they're just like histories, mysteries kind of stories, you know? And St. Germain was just like the first, it was like the first story. And, and I still have all my copies because I have like three copies of the book. Um, he, he kind of put forth this whole idea that he might be like the wandering Jew, which is kind of an interesting uh, theory. And cause he, at one point he claimed that he had been present. 
I mean, that, that's part of the Count's mystery is that uh, he would he would talk about these things from the past that, you know, as if he had been there, if he had known everyone personally and 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 just knew all the smells and the sights and the sounds and and all the all the tactile things, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the Wandering Jew connection, which just in case people don't know, it's a sort of a figure from sort of European uh, folklore mythology, which probably, and quite rightly, would probably be regarded quite anti-Semitically these days, but he, he was somebody who was... Um, who sort of spurned Christianity but was cursed with immortality. Um, mm-hmm. It's not seen as a being a, a desirable thing. but And then sort of a wandering, a figure that wanders, you know, nomadically through this sort of world, um, not being able to find rest. So that, that uh, funny enough, if you like the Ring of Foth thing, that, that's, a, a, you know, a theme in that as well. And But Saint Germain is somebody who's... Um, He's sort of he's 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 not um, as far as I'm aware. He might be um, never better, Jesse, but um, not somebody who complained about being immortal. <laughs> he didn't, as far as I know. I, I've never come across anyone who's like, "Hey, you know what? That guy was a real complainer." Like <laughs> it, it was never like yeah, that. Yeah, he yeah. It, he never really talked about it, but he like directly he was he would always be like, oh yeah, I was there for that. And, you know, and then it was like something that happened 200 years before yeah, the yeah. date, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it was a great name dropper. I mean, what we do know about him, he was, he, he, from what the people who did meet him and know him, one of the things which is consistent is that he was very well versed. He was, yeah, and also very articulate and very charismatic and, you know, could hold the attention of, you know, a dinner party and so on. So he, he had that charisma to sort of, um, sort of carry uh, carry things off so i think those are th- that that seems to be the consistent thing one one of the one of the sure facts one of the few uh, sort of you know sort of facts we know about the, the the character of the man is that he he had this charisma and he was a great um you know very articulate and um, a great talker and he he spoke like 11 different languages mm. which is interesting so, yeah. we had all that time to learn them. I mean, <laughs> to be fair, I mean, did I mean? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I suppose you would learn quite a few languages. Um, so, let's let's pin him. Let's pin the first like definite reported sighting of him. So, when where does he first appear? Kind of on paper, as it were. You know, where when on record? Where did we first see the count appear? Well, I always have to pull up my. I have a timeline on my website. <laughs> Okay, so, um, so he, at the end of the 17th century, um, so about like 1695 to about 1700, it's it's just like a loose mention by the Countess de Gurgi. Um, he was living in Venice, so that's kind of that's kind of like the first um, mention for him. And in 1701, it's said that he was re- he was ta- he was arrested um, in Vienna, and I have not been able to find a, an arrest record yet. So that's part of my future to research. You know, it's on my to do list to um, see if I can find that because that's like it's little things like that that I'm really interested in. 
you know, because yeah, things that kind of pin him, pin him to history, kind of thing. Right, and that would that would there should be a record. There should be some kind of record, written record of um, some arrests being made, or so you'd think. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I suppose as well, he's such an elusive will the wisp because you know by definition he's saying this isn't my real name and he goes by these other you know these other aliases and so on so but at the same time weirdly he doesn't it doesn't keep out the limelight he sort of courts it and um he courts attention doesn't he he's sort of he's hidden in plain sight in that way he's a, that's one of the things that's really interesting about him actually because normally with these kind of shadowy characters they tend to be hidden don't they or very yeah. this guy's you know right out you know he's, he's yeah. the the man of the party kind of thing he's yeah. you know uh he's the kind of right. he'd be having his own talk show if he was, <laughs> if he was with us today well i'm presuming he's not i mean you might be listening to this so it's just a good if you are i, I reckon you'd make an excellent you know talk show host. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah if he he seems to be he seems to go in and out actually because like while he's present during this, the 18th century, he starts fading out in the in the 18th or in the 19th, sorry, uh, in the 19th century, and he's almost he's still seen in like the 20th century, but it's really limited. But who knows? Like he might be ready to make his comeback, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So okay, so we've pinned him to Venice and Vienna, um, and Vienna, and then. This this kind of interested me a little bit. He apparently demolished a castle. Could you talk a bit about that? Because that's quite interesting. Uh, I really I don't have a ton of information on that, and I I've tried to uh, do like internet research, right? Because <laughs> uh, I'm not over in Europe. I'm in Alaska, which is in on the other side of Canada. <laughs> so. Um, you can't yeah, just nip, you can't just nip on a train, can you? Over it, <laughs> I can't just fly over there. It's uh, like fourteen hundred bucks, yeah, you know, yeah. just for a plane ticket. Um, <laughs> yeah, so basically, what I found is that he uh, demolished a castle. It was it was called Ubergen Castle, and he did it under the name of Count Weldern. And he he seems to like the name uh, well done or well done, or he has like a few different ways that it's been spelled um, that I could find. And the interesting thing for this is that he actually goes back. uh, What year was that? He goes back and he like rebuys the property later but uh let me i'm almost to it i think it's like in the 18 or sorry the 1760s or something he goes back and he uh rebuys the land oh yeah 1762 he goes back and he rebuys the land interesting so So i think that's kind of interesting i was was just thinking because if you're kind of um an immortal character and perhaps you'd been assuming another identity for a while and you wanted to kind of blank out that identity but enjoyed the surroundings, that might be, um, you know, one way around of, of doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, you know, what's, what's really interesting to me 
is that he seems to really like certain places. Like he, he doesn't just visit Vienna once, you know, he, he's like constantly going there, you know, and it's like that with a few, with a handful of different places. Uh, there seems to be, you know, places where he just likes to be. And like the Hague is one of them. Uh, Venice, Vienna, Paris. Um, he likes Edinburgh. Uh, <laughs> he likes, I don't know if he's, if he really spent a lot of time in, in London, but he did spend time in England. Um, but that seemed to be kind of limited. And he might have even moved on to uh, America is is what i'm starting to find interesting so he yeah. um he he did come to london um what was his experience like in that this is around sort of 1740ish isn't it somewhere around there he uh he comes to london uh, maybe earlier than that actually no maybe 17 no 1743 i think it says i'm using your timeline as a reference um <laughs> And, I set that up because I I kept having to go back in my books to to find dates and stuff, and it's actually tremendously helpful. <laughs> yeah, it's really helpful for this interview as well. Um, so he he came to um, London. What was he doing in London? Um he he was doing a bunch of things. So he was he was working on some uh, steam engine prototypes and. Then he was also composing, uh, he was composing his, I guess it's an opera, uh, Le Inconstanza de Lusa. <laughs> and, and later he would, um, you know, it'd be put on uh, in a, at a theater in, at Haymarket Street. So yeah. uh, like that was kind of in the works and stuff. Well, that's still and, there. The, the, I mean, the, you know, the opera house and everything is still... Uh, you know, it's known that area is known for you know theatres and operas and stuff. So. Mm, yeah, yeah, interesting. So I, I suppose one thing you put, you sort of touched on it there is we should possibly talk about the kind of the kind of abilities of the count because he he he's a very talented individual, isn't he? We've spoken about his music. Apparently, he was a virtuoso, but he also had talents in other areas, and one of them was a, a type of dye. I seem to remember reading somewhere. Yeah, he he had um, he had a, he had a color. I think it was like a, I want to say it was like a a violet color that he was that he had produced, and it was just a, an unusual color. Um, and most people had problems making it, and he he could just make it no problem. Um, he was really into textiles, so he was into like fabric dyeing and creating new kinds of fabric um which i mean that doesn't seem that doesn't seem very cool or whatever uh nowadays because it's we have so many different things available uh but at the time he was trying to make like a synthetic silk and he was trying to (laughs) he was trying to get this second wave of industrialization to happen uh in the 18th century and in the 18th century, that's when we really hit the first wave of industrialization with like, uh, like farming equipment and machines, you know, that sort of thing. 
Um, and this, the second wave really didn't hit till the early uh, 19th century. So he was a little ahead of his time in that sense. Mm. He seems to be generally quite ahead of his time, doesn't he? I mean, uh, you're talking yeah. about the um, Seven Year War. Can you talk about that as well? He tried to prevent that, I believe. Yeah, he, okay, so um, he kind of arrived in France in, in 1749 and stayed until about 1760-ish. Um, and I say that, and he he has re- revisited number of times, And uh, but he was working as a French diplomat uh, for the king, and Louis just, like, just loved him, apparently, uh, and was, like, one of his number one supporters. And... Uh, is that, is that Louis the, Louis she the 15th? was also a big fan of his. Hmm? I was going to say, which Louis? Louis the Fifteenth? Is that? Is that got? Have I got that right? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, and at the time, like there was uh, there was skirmishes going. They had all kinds of skirmishes going on between France and England and the United States, uh, or I guess not the United States at that point, but. Uh, the areas that would be Canada and the United States, um, basically. And they had all kinds of wars that that were going on, and they'd stop for a little bit, then they'd continue on. It was basically just a continuation of the same thing. And the Seven Years' War, he actually, as a diplomat, he was working to end it about three years early. And what happened was the uh, French war marshal, who, who was uh, the Duke de, de Choiseul. <laughs> I'm sorry, I totally murder names. Uh, <laughs> I can read French, I just can't pronounce anything. Um, the Duke de, de Choiseul, I guess. Um, he, you know, if the war stopped, he was going to lose a lot of money. He wasn't, you know... So the longer the war lasted, the more money he was going to make. And he put out a warrant for the Count's arrest. So the Seven Years' War ended up being seven years instead of four. Mm. It's interesting. So I mean, this is something that's also quite interesting with the Count, is that he always seemed to be fairly flush with cash, didn't he? He, always, he never seemed to be short of money, Um well, until the very end, but we'll come to that. But uh, well, the alleged end. <laughs> um, but how how do you think he managed to to acquire this wealth? Um, well, I'm not a hundred percent sure <laughs> because, uh, as everyone says in like their memoirs and their journals and diaries and stuff like that, um, he he was just like flush with jewels like and he he could grow jewels i guess um like what one thing that he did to win over the king of france there um is he took a, a gem like a diamond that had a flaw in it and not only did he fix the flaw but he made it bigger and i don't know how that's possible um because i am not a i don't know what to call it a gemologist i i don't I don't know how any of that works, um, but he he would just be like, okay, this will take like two or three weeks or whatever, and take flawed stones, and he could fix them. 
you know, so he might be dressed um, more subtly than other people, but he would always have like diamond, diamond encrusted buckles and jewelry and stuff because he just had that. So that's. Um, <laughs> and I suppose that's, an, that's another one of the sort of currents in the um, the figure of uh, Saint Germain is the, is the alchemy, you know, the early chemistry, and I mean it's it's fascinating, it's intriguing the. The, the um his interest in uh, dying and stuff because people will think oh what's that got to do with you know alchemy you know but um actually that's uh, you know that's part of it i mean that's that's chemistry there and also as well you know purple violet that was the most rarest of dyes you know in roman times you know purple is associated with the emperor because of it's it's such a difficult thing to make and it's so expensive and um, it's even reserved now for like uh, in the church, in the, the you know for the bishops, you know, it's a it's, that's their color. So, so there's that. So that the chemistry thing, the his interest in dyes and chemistry does link into the sort of the alchem alchemical ideas. And um, again, that's again that brings us back to the the notion of an, an immortal adept who, you know, who's who's lived for centuries because one of the core ideas in in alchemy, early chemistry is you know the the perfectibility of nature and part of nature being mankind and part of that perfectibility would be either to extend life indefinitely or, or you know or, or extend it to incredible extent or or actually become immortal i don't know actually did he did he identify that did he, was he just somebody who could live an incredibly long time and then would finally you know come to an end or did he actually say well actually i'm i'm planning to just carry on forever now and i'll see the end of the world he, he never, from what I've read, he's never used the word immortal oh, no, no, to anyone. Say, oh, say, it's interesting. Go on. So, but sorry. He, he'd be like, yeah, I'll see you in 50 years. And, then, you know, 50 years later, like, he still looks the same. And the person he said that to is on their deathbed or something, you know. And, and that happened a number of times. Could you uh, talk to uh, some examples of that, actually? Because that's that's really interesting. Could you um, give us some examples of who uh, actually? Because there was a famous was there, wasn't there a famous countess that infamous? Um, there there was um, Countess de Gurgi, which who we mentioned before, and she said that she had met him the first time when she was like nine or ten, and then she met him later on in life, and she she wasn't sure what she was looking at because she was absolutely sure that, um, you know, this, he had to be like a son of someone or, or something like that. And he was like, no, I remember. And here's what we did. And he, you know, and she was just like, Whoa, this, um, you know, he just, he just totally told her like, this is how the encounter went. This is what we talked about. You know, I was there to meet your, your dad and stuff like that. And he had all the details, you know, and that's, to me, that's important because he always has all those details. Um, mm. Yeah, that's another, what the real mystery is, isn't mystery. it? And he retains this youthful, this sort of a youthful, youthful appearance. He doesn't age with the with the uh, generations. Perhaps he invented Botox. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's like a kind of modern latter-day alchemy, isn't it? I mean... It, <laughs> You know, actually, I'm, I'll touch on something that's kind of related to that in just a second. Um, 
because another person that this happened to uh, was Countess de Adamar. And that was like one of his best friends in, well, during his time in, in France. Um, she, she was just like, uh, like a lady in waiting kind of, kind of a position, you know, she was like, she was kind of in with the court, but she wasn't super high up or anything. Um, and she, at one point he was running away from like, uh, he had, he had an arrest warrant out for him. And so he's running away from like the French military, I guess, cause they're not really police. They're, I guess it was kind of like the a quasi mixture of police slash army. And she housed him, you know, for the night, that sort of thing. So she was really someone that he trusted and he showed up looking the same until she died. So that's, I don't know. I, I think that's kind of interesting. And she, she passed away in 1822. I wonder, I wonder if there could have been more than one Saint Germain. I mean, it, it was there like, I mean, there could have been more than one character claiming, I mean, to keep the sort of uh, mystery alive. I mean, I wonder if that is, you know, like, could that be an explanation? I don't know. It's possible. Um, I haven't found anything. That's the thing. I haven't found anything to support that because <laughs> I've thought the same thing um, as a way to try and explain everything. But the, the, the issue is that, you know, they don't know, you know, you don't know when you're going to run into someone that you've seen a really long time ago and then they have all those details. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's like he's. I, I, I did think that myself and had this came to the same conclusion. It's like you'd have to almost have like a almost like a blog <laughs> that you could check in on, you know, and uh, go, oh yeah, okay, I might meet this person. You know, it's 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 you'd have to like uh, transfer a lot of history and knowledge. Um, <laughs> it was a secret society, and they all called themselves Saint Germain, and they. They sort of downloaded all that information. Who knows? Yeah, you know, I, I should probably mention this real quick. Uh, in Tom Sleeman's book, Strange But True, the title of, of this chapter about the, the count is The Count St. Germain, The Real Doctor Who. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I, I I was going to, I you know what I I, I was I was I, anybody who knows me will, will laugh at this, but I was going to mention the the fact that there is there seem to be similarities, especially in the name dropping. Yeah, <laughs> that, that sort of historical name. You know, the doctors always say, "Oh yeah, I said to Napoleon, blah blah blah," or, or you know, Madame Pompidou. I said, oh, you know, you'll love jelly babies. Now, yeah, so I, I I made that connection, and he's the kind of and he's immortal as well, isn't he? In a way, so yeah. I, you know, I grew up watching Doctor Who, so I. Yeah, we, we all did. We're, you're talking to two big Doctor Who fans here. Yeah, yeah. But we're in danger now of steering this towards a Doctor Who Appreciation Society <laughs> type thing, <laughs> which I'm, I'm just, I'm always on the verge of. So it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous precipice we're on. <laughs> well, one thing you were talking, you were talking about um, Botox and the Count, and you were going to. Um, yeah, he, he was really into making. Uh, like beauty products for uh, like Madame de, de Pompadour and some of her 
group, you know, her clique, whatever. Um, and, and so he would, he'd be like, oh yeah, like here's, here's a new cream to try. It's supposed to make you look younger. And here's, you know, here's a new type of lipstick or something. I mean, he just always had uh, all kinds of like beauty products that he would like lavish, lavishly give to uh, the courts. So we, we touched on it earlier, um, but I'd like to know a little bit more. What is the Count's connection to alchemy in the sense of what kind of recorded um, observations are there of the Count and alchemy? Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a lot. Uh, when he was when he was part of the French court, he actually had a whole section. Like a, it's actually a fairly sizable section of uh, Chateau de Chambord, um, which is the the big palace there. <laughs> and he he uh, not only did his alchemy stuff there. But he taught classes, mm. which is kind of interesting. Like uh, one of one of the more famous people that he taught was Catherine the Great's mother. So, you know, he would just I don't know what he was teaching, but he taught something. And he was um, along with that, he was really heavily tied in with like uh, the Freemasons and stuff. So he probably shared some of his knowledge and whatever with um, other, I don't know, Masons that he was real familiar with, which seems to be a lot of people um, that he was around were also Freemasons. Yeah, yeah. And also, of course, the, there was the um, Egyptian Masonry as well. It's it's a famous association. And I suppose he... he presume within it he must have got that must have happened in london i didn't really read a whole bunch of freemason work by him in in england but as we all know like there's there's a ton of um masonic stuff and there's a lot of like knights templar and all of that kind of stuff um just all over the place over there so Cagalistro, you got the, the figure of Cagalistro, and um, he, he um he started his um Egyptian I mean he obviously wasn't a Londoner, but uh, he started his his Egyptian masonry, my understanding is, in London itself, in, in the middle of Chinatown actually, Gerard Gerard Street. Um so you know, so who I mean that's a fascinating idea, you know, in the middle of Chinatown, Saint Germain gets initiated into Egyptian masonry. I mean as I mean, you know, you think about that often when you're eating your chow mein. I mean, <laughs> there's a, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, the Masonic connection, um, and I don't want to veer off into like conspiracy theory here or anything, but the um, uh, Adam Weishap, who was the the founder of um, the actual, not the Alex Jones Illuminati, but the actual Illuminati, the one that did exist um, historically. Um, there's some connection between him, Cagliostro, and um, and uh, uh, the Count of San, San Germain. Um, I, I don't know if you've come across that yet or not, but... Uh, uh, who was the third one? Sorry. Um, Adam Weishapt. He was the... He formed the... You know, because originally, I mean, I should probably explain this because we have some listeners that probably think I'm talking about the 
you know, the David Icke or Alex Jones Illuminati. <laughs> I'm talking about there, there was a, a, a real group called the Illuminati formed in Bavaria uh, who were kind of a, a, a group kind of challenging the church of the time and um, um, free, free, a free thinking organisation, which was mm. at the time was very scandalous, but mm. they were deeply involved with Count Cogliastro, Count Cog- yeah, Cagliastro um, who, you know, was also deeply involved with the Count San Germain at one point. So there is this kind of link between the Illuminati of that period and, and, and Count, Count San Germain. Well, I, I haven't come across that name, but um, I do know that Cagliostro did know the Count. Like they met at a few different Masonic meetings. And one was after his reported death, wasn't it? Um, uh, uh, <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, so that's interesting as well. So let's talk about his alleged death before, because I want to go into some of the kind of sightings post his his official death. Um, but let's talk about kind of, could you sort of set the scene of what's happening in, in that period of time and and what led to the Count's alleged death? Okay, so uh, he was he was really good friends with Prince Carl of Hesse Castle, um, which is now kind of like the Schleswig-Holstein area, um, if you're familiar with that. <laughs> and uh, he kind of like, he was, he had a warrant out, out for his arrest in France. So Another one. <laughs> he kind of went everywhere except France for a while. And he decided to go stay with his friend Carl. And that's, you know, he decided to, I guess, die, <laughs> supposedly, because it doesn't read like an actual death. Um, basically, what happened was he had like this sudden death in February of 1784. And Carl was like, you know what? Hey, he died. Um, don't worry. My guys took care of it. Here's his here's this, uh, you know, casket and just, we'll just get him buried. No worries, you know? <laughs> and, and they, um, he invited like some of the official people to come in and to inventory items that were left in the count's room. And that was kind of it. And my theory on this is that, they, they kind of talked about it and he was like, hey, I want to go back to France, so I need to fake my death. And because if you're dead, they can't have a, an arrest warrant out for you. No. And also, if you're a master of clothing, that could possibly make you also a master of disguising yourself and making yourself um, harder to spot. Well, he, he did escape at one point from Paris uh, by calling himself... Uh, Count Saint Noel, so you know. <laughs> so uh, around that time of his death, when he was staying with um, Carl, the he he'd also he'd set up a the prince had set up a, a kind of alchemy lab for him, hadn't he? Right, and Carl was, tried. He was he attempted to be his own practicing alchemist, you know, kind of on the side of things because. He did have some royal duties that he had to tend to. 
Um, but he was a big time Freemason. So I think all of his stuff was a little more towards Freemasonry than alchemy. Um, but yeah, the count, the count totally, um, used his labs and stuff that's from what I can tell. Yeah, that's interesting. So he, uh, the other thing that I found really fascinating was what was left behind after he died. Because bear in mind that we'd, we've already set him up as a fairly well-to-do person that would probably have traveled with, you know, a large amount of, uh, you know, luxurious items. And, um, you know, uh, talk a little bit about his, his, um, what was left behind. Well, before I, before I get into what was left behind, I should mention that he had multiple businesses going on. Uh, you know, he was, he was like kind of attached to his violin, but he could also play a lot of other musical instruments. Um, you know, he just, he always had a lot of, he's like an octopus. He had a, like a lot of different things going on. And so when you, when you take a look at the inventory, which uh, author Jean Overton Fuller um, has a whole list. She has, Chapter 40 is dedicated to just the inventory that was left behind. Um, and it's really boring. It is, it's, let me, let me pull it up here. Okay. So he had a tiny bit of money. Uh, doesn't really come out so much. Um, if you want to put it into like dollars and cents or something, it's like $82 and 13 cents. Um, he had some clothing, which wasn't a lot, just like a handful of clothing. Uh, he had some special linen stuff, you know, like, uh, handkerchiefs and, uh, cuff frills and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, and then he had like a toiletry bag, <laughs> uh, and that's, that's it. Yeah, that's what he had and i i was like wow when i first came across that i was like wow that's totally a list of everything that he had and i was like something's weird about this and there's there's nothing personal to it there, there aren't any journals there's no music there's no instruments there's no there's no uh there's no character to it is there there's no character yeah, it's, it's like a, it's like a suitcase that was left behind is what it, what it yeah. sounds like. Yeah. I think I bring more personal stuff with me when I go on vacation. So, and, and that's what was bothering me about it. Yeah. You know, cause I like, I'll at least have a book or something with me. I mean, I mean, it could be that he was in transit and, uh, you know, like you say, it's what you would take to, you know, if you're going to stay in a hotel for the weekend or something and, and was perhaps planning to go elsewhere and then, you know, reestablish himself. But wasn't he there for a while? How long was he with uh, Carl for? Uh, he was there for about six years. Yeah, so, six, mm, yeah, right. so yeah, so you'd expect if you're staying somewhere for six years, you'd print, you know, back in those days, you'd bring a lot of stuff with you, wouldn't you? You'd bring, you know. Yeah, you'd probably bring like a couple, you know, trunks of stuff. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. It's interesting. So, yeah, so interestingly, the next sort of sighting of him um after his death <laughs> um 
It's the very next year in Paris. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of interesting. And that seems to be, the, and that's the Cagliostro meeting, isn't it? This is the Masonic convention um, uh, in Deschamps. And uh, yeah, and uh, his, his, his name is on the list, uh, as it were. And uh, um, Cagliostro claims to have seen him at that convention and also went through an initiation uh, and ritual only used by Templars with him. So he certainly <laughs> appears to be uh, alive and kicking still. But um, so uh, and he actually he he went to a a, a handful of other Masonic uh, conventions like all over the place at that point too, uh, or after I should say after he died. So and it was he was seen by people that he already knew that from before. So it wasn't like he was just like, hey, yeah, I'm I'm the Count. Haven't you heard of me? It was people who knew him. Yeah, it's interesting. So let's talk about some of the more um, notable, you know, post, post-death post appearances. Um, can you think of any off the top of your head that are kind of particularly notable? Or? Uh, well, I, I like to – there's there's one that's not so notable, but I like to – I've been looking into it some more. Um, he, he went to, uh, sorry, Vienna, <laughs> he went to Vienna and he stayed in Fiedelhof, which is, um, like just outside the core city there. And the, the lodging owner referred to him as the American gentleman. Mm. And he, at that point he was still working on like trains and steamboats and stuff. Um, and I think it's interesting that he was referred to as the American gentleman because I found one letter, one single letter between him and Ben Franklin. Interesting. And I think it's really interesting because I, I think what happened was, you know, he kind of faded out a little bit in Europe. And I think he went over to uh, the United States for a little while. That would make sense. Was, Around that time, that is when people were doing that. So, yeah, and and he would have he probably would have known Ben Franklin uh, because Ben Franklin, if if you aren't aware, spent the majority of his time over in France. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, which seems really strange, you yeah. know. Uh, but there was a mysterious man who was present at the signing of the Declaration of Independence, and no one's really been able to to identify him. And that was back in 1775. So could he have possibly been that person? Maybe. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me, you know. With with everyone that that he knows, uh, it really wouldn't surprise me at all. And the time frame as well. One thing we we were talking about it earlier on Skype was – um, with Franklin um, being a member of the Hellfire Club and also Walpole, uh, who we mentioned earlier, also a member, well, not a member, but um, spent some time at least with the Hellfire Club um, and recorded, a, you know, a, um, a, he, he wrote a, a little memoir on, on meeting them. I think they were called the Monks of Medenham then. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting connection. There just seems to be all these like, this web of connections, especially with these kind of more clandestine groups, I suppose you'd say. I mean, I'm, I mean, the Masons aren't particularly clandestine these days, but back then it was a far more secretive order. And uh, the Count seems to have his his uh, 
his toe dipped in quite a few of these. <laughs> well, actually, with with that, with his time spent in jail, which really wasn't that long, uh, Horace Horace Walpole he actually arrested him in in Scotland, and or the arrest was made in Scotland, and he was writing about it because um, he was brought down to like. Oh gosh, he was brought down to a prison in London, I think, and and he was writing about it to a friend named Horace Mann, and he was saying that there's this prisoner, you know, is he was like kind of going crazy, and, <laughs> and he he was the count makes the worst prisoner apparently, um, and just makes like all kinds of crazy claims. And just it runs amok. And then if you if you look at my timeline, and if you have ever read Tom Sleeman's book, uh, there was a weird arrest made during World War One that it it's almost it almost mimics the same sort of behavior and reaction uh, that the Count had with Horace Walpole. That's interesting. So, yeah, let's leap forward a bit because uh, we're still sort of uh, in the sort of 18th century here. Um, when does he start to appear kind of in the 19th century? Uh, well, okay, so he kind of fades away um, around 1821 and then he kind of comes back uh, with a meeting uh, – What? If, in about 1860, and he, he has a meeting with um, uh, Lord Lytton, uh, Edward George Bulwer Lytton, <laughs> and he's an author. And most people don't really know who he is by name, uh, but he, <clears throat> sorry, he's really famous for the opening line of, it was a dark and stormy night. That was, that's all him. <laughs> and then, uh he actually had written a novel called Zanoni, yeah. uh, which you can get on Kindle or or whatever kind of e-reader that you have, or you know, it, you might not be able to find it at your bookstore because I don't know how popular George Lighton is. Yeah, well, um, you, 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 if you look, if you look, I encourage you to. You can get uh, you can get a better you can get a better copy of that. I've got a, I've got a copy of that book, which is. A real book yeah. in the real world <laughs> from the seventies. From the seventies, it's... he he actually uh, wrote a, this book, and it's based on the count. So I don't know if he knew the count beforehand, or if he was just kind of collecting information and basing it off of that. But the main character of Zanoni is based on the count, and it's kind of a weird love story between like Zanoni and this girl and you know he happens to be an alchemist and, and it's there's a lot of parallels but it makes you wonder like what where where's the artistic license here you know I mean we've got I mean there's so many um character you know like historical characters one that particularly interests me is Madame Bavatsky uh she met the count apparently in 1873 um right and that's like an approximate date um 
and it really it was more of her uh like she she met him there's a there's a famous picture out there so um there's a picture of her with three people around and i i don't know if it really is the the count that's with her but um she she said that she was she met three ascended masters so she has um master uh kuthumi (laughs) el moria and saint germain and so there's a picture with her like in her chair whatever wheelchair or something and these three guys standing beside her or behind her and and so it's i don't know it's a real photo and i don't there's not a lot of definition because it's a real early photo you know which is which one is which one do people (laughs) think is jermaine then because i'm looking at the picture right now there's three gentlemen stood above her and she's uh the one on the rightmost side Right, my side. Okay, interesting. It's yeah. uh, if if nothing else, it's the it's a it's a the continuate the golden thread. That golden thread, the the sort of mythic, you know, the mythic um, character of uh, Saint Germain. And it's interesting that in Zoni, that the the principal character in that is is inspired by based on uh, the, the Saint Germain character. So so it might be the, one of the very earliest. Um, um, sort of fictional, the fictional avatars of of Saint Germain. You know, he's, he's because he does like I said earlier. I mean, he, he's 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 had a huge influence as a as a character in 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 you know fiction as well. He lives on in fiction. You know, like in that example right. and yes. in like Pushkin's the uh, the Queen of Spades. He's the sort of mm-hmm. uh, shadowy adept who who uh, gives the the countess the trick to, with the cards and um actually and in more contemporary terms uh, um you, Quinn Yarbrough she she has a whole series with him that started in like the 70s i think i think it predates um Anne Rice's vampire chronicles cuz she has him down as being a vampire yeah yeah well yeah, we got that tra- well he is a transylvanian apparently so and also yeah. as well also in um in the made for television to a Kolchak film, the the Night Strangler, in although it's not so explicit in the actual broadcast um, film, in the novelization apparently there's a very strong suggestion that the um, the immortal adept in that who's is far more sinister, is is far more predatory, definitely is is meant to be Saint Germain. So you know he lives on in you know. He lives on in all sorts of different Kolchak, shapes. By the way, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, we're, oh, yeah, you're, yeah. you're amongst friends. Here, yeah, 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 you're amongst friends. <laughs> <laughs> we we love the Jack as well. Yeah, it's um. So one thing we didn't actually talk about, which I think very quickly we should just just sort of tack on at the end a little bit here, is the count. The count's eating habits are very very interesting. Um, could we talk a little bit about kind of he 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 attends a lot of dinners, a lot a lot of parties, a lot of social events, but um very very little is known about his intake of food or uh, uh, you know or drink in particular yeah I, I find that to be very interesting because he, he might have a tiny bit of wine here and there but usually it's reported that he hasn't had anything and people have noticed because he's not even drinking the wine which of course is a pretty popular thing to have when you're in France and and Italy and stuff like that, you know? 
Um, but he, he would only kind of eat privately. And from, from what I've been able to gather, uh, Sarah, I actually have a list on my website here. So he would eat oatmeal, groats, which are groats or oats, but they have the, uh, like the hole on them and white meat of chicken. And that's, it, it's like so basic and it's so yeah, kind of bland. You know? so, yeah. Well, um, yeah. Yeah. So white meat of chicken, but with, with none of the other, you know, the things you would expect to come with it, you know, it's just as it is sort of kind of thing. And um, funny enough though, I mean, that does also sort of key in, in a, not so obvious way, but it does key into the, the alchemy thing because, you know, Paracelsus, you know, the, probably the most famed mm -hmm. alchemist. I mean, he talks a lot about, you know, there's an alchemist in everybody's, you know, stomach that digests food and stuff. So there's a, funny enough, there is that, uh, again, we're coming back with the, you know, the makeup, which uh, men would have worn well uh, at that time, you know, the powdered wigs and the makeup and stuff. That, that, was, that all involves chemistry as well. So there's these alchemical themes there which are not so obvious to people now because they don't seem so explicit now but they are there you know and wasn't there also something about a um a powder that he would put into water or something some kind of concoction that he would drink in water yeah there was there was something about it but i i haven't been able to figure out what exactly it is so i was i didn't list it because i i didn't know what it was yeah, it's interesting, though, isn't it? I wonder if, because um, you know, that's again an alchemical um, um, connection there. And so we've, I mean, I, I guess like closing out in a way. What what are your personal views on the count? Like, what um, do you personally think is going on with the count Saint Germain? Uh, you you know, it's okay. It sounds really crazy because because it sounds really crazy, but I haven't found any, I haven't found anything that says that he has been born or that he's died. And so I kind of, I have this hope that he is alive and he's just out there today doing his thing. Uh, because like things that we didn't mention was that like he, he was seen in Bohemian Grove in California, which I'm sure you guys are aware of that is like super secret. And then he was seen again in like the 1960s at um, what I think is a Bilderberg conference. And I think he's still kind of around and, and he's just keeping low right now. It must be very difficult to do that in this current age of information though. That's This is the one thing where, um, you know, it, it, this if if anything now is the hardest time ever mm. to hide. I'd say, <laughs> mm. well, you know, everybody has phones. Everybody has, you know. So he must be a master if he's managing to. But then mm. he, again, he possibly lives a very different life to the rest of us these mm. days. If that makes sense, you know, he may have that, you know, that finance to be able to do something like that. Because I think to really hide in this day and age, you need to be, you know, probably quite wealthy. Yeah. Well. The other, the other part of it is, um, you know, he, he said, it was said that he had a kind of like a, a manservant or, or a friend or, or whatever, uh, you want to call him who was, he also kind of kept the same way 
um, as him. So, and his name's Roger. And he also gets referred to at one point as Zephyrt. Mm-hmm. And he's supposed to have been around with him for at least 500 years. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the Count. It would be the Count and his friend, Roger. <laughs> Roger doesn't have the same ring to say Saint Germain, though. Yeah, sometimes like a friend to help you out, you know? Yeah. So what what how old do we place him then? If if we go if we take go right back to the beginning of your timeline because we have uh this is something we haven't actually mentioned we should also talk about which is prior to the recorded um history of of the count on your timeline you have some stuff prior to, you have some uh 16th century going all the way back to uh 530 BC could Maybe we should talk a little bit about that. I know you, you haven't looked into that fully yourself yet, but could you perhaps talk about some of the more, I mean, some of these are quite in, <laughs> crazy claims, aren't they? Well, okay. So these, the the early, the super early part of this timeline that I have is based on his claims to that he made to other people that got noted in like memoirs and stuff. Um so the earliest thing that he mentioned was, was that he had received the staff of Moses from one of his uh, great grandsons during the time of Cyrus, which would have placed him uh, somewhere between 600 to 530 BC. And, you know, that's, it's an approximate date um, because we don't have a, we don't have it pinpointed yet. Um, he claimed that he lived as a missionary under the rule of Emperor Valentine I, and he traveled to Cornwall. Mm. So, and that that was in uh, 364 to about 375 BC, uh, which kind of fits with like the features that people have given him, you know, because. He's supposed to have like this aquiline nose and and slightly Eastern European features and and stuff like that and black hair. Um, so let's see here. Then we kind of jump ahead to about thirteen hundred, and he's supposedly supposedly he had rooms um, at the Tower of London under King Edward II's rule, and from there on, it's a solid. 1500s from then on um so it's yeah it's it's pretty interesting um because it it's so out there yeah and it's the thing that strikes me particularly i mean because obviously you know um with a lot of myths it's very hard to kind of find uh anything like solid to hang you know historically speaking to sort of hang any kind of uh thread of reality on but with the count we know he definitely existed at least mm. for, at one bit period of time um and uh, you know to a point where there's a portrait of him and his music exists still mm. and um you know uh, it, it, that's what kind of singles him out in a way as an interesting mm. character to me at least and i you know i think it makes him even more mysterious because mm. we know he existed. We know that there's a, a thread at least of possibility mm. that this myth is actually real. And um, mm. that, I, that's why I find him personally so fascinating. Mm. 
Yeah. Also, as well, I'm fascinated. I'm also deeply intrigued, um, uh, Jesse. What What do you make of the the? Uh, there's books attributed to him, isn't it? There's the the Holy Threefold um, Wisdom and the Triangular Book, I think it's called. Do you think they have any real connection with the man, or is are they part of the the fable that has grown up around? Or where did you stand on that? What, what's your What's your thoughts and feelings? Uh, well, I haven't really taken a look at the Triangle Book yet because it you can buy a copy, but it costs a lot of money. <laughs> and so it's, uh, uh, I don't know, it's, it's just something I haven't, I just haven't made the purchase on yet because I'm one of these people where I'm like, oh, there's this thing on, you know, eBay or something you know, a letter that, that the count wrote or something, um, you know, and I, I buy that kind of stuff. I, I'm that person. Uh, and then I go through and I try and check it out, see if it's real or not. Um, cause the, we, we do have some samples of his handwriting. Wow. That is, that is intriguing. That is really intriguing. What about the, the threefold wisdom, the, 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 the holy threefold wisdom? Have you looked into that at all or? That one, I have gone through that a number of times and it's... Can you tell me what it's about? Because I haven't got a clue. I, I can't. Like, that's the thing. <laughs> it's, it's like this personal transformation kind of a thing. And I, I, I decided to sit down and, like, take notes on, you know, like, page one. Here's my notes for page one. Page two. Here's my notes for that. And it's just so strange and it's uh it's so subjective i it's quite open to interpretation so i it's hard for me to figure out what that one is about exactly except it's probably like there's there's like rituals and then like he walks through water that's waist deep for 40 days or something and it's like what i don't understand that um, but something's going on there, and I, I don't know exactly what he's getting at. And of, lots of these al alchemical texts, if that's what it is, you know, they have this very kind of, um, you know, back. I mean, the, the, you know, back to the sort of Alexandria with the with the ancient Greek uh, alchemists. You, you, they, they talked about metals being personified as people doing things and being died and you know being killed and then being reborn and so that's that's consistent with that yeah i just i just wondered how you stood on you know was there a possibility that he was the real author of it i mean there's a tradition there's a tradition of attributing books to like you know you know like traditional books of magic to, to solomon and and so on because of his association and I just, um, I just wondered if it, there, if there was a possibility, maybe he actually had something to do with it, or maybe the school of thought that he left behind or was working on. You know, they they might have written some of this stuff down, and then that, that might actually be a, a real depository of, of what he was thinking of. You know, on those subjects. Well, actually, uh, the most holy Trinisophia, which is his crazy book <laughs> um i think he gave that to cagliostro at that 1785 meeting because cagliostro was found with it uh when he was arrested a couple years later ah, ah, yeah. so there's this possible then it's, it's not it's not beyond 
possibility. I mean, also as well, I mean, another famous character that he was associated with, which lots of people recognize and be very surprised by, is um, the famous lover, the famous seducer, of course, Casanova. Yeah, he, actually, Casanova witnessed him uh, doing some of his his stuff with, with gemstones. And it's mentioned really briefly in in Casanova's memoirs. Yeah, I mean... Um... Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he. I mean, his impression of him apparently is that he, you know, he was a great bon vivant and he was a great, you know, talker and, and fascinating person. Yeah, I'm not sure if he was completely convinced by him, but um, he was fascinated by him. Anyways, but uh, you know, in, impressed, impressed by him certainly. Another figure that that knew him was uh, Napoleon the Third, and he was so like intrigued by him. Uh, that in 1870 he had a special commission just just to collect information and study the count and then like a year later it that office burnt down wow, wow. well funny enough yeah i mean napoleon the third actually was a, a, a denzine of uh, a brighton at where we're talking from now so who knows <laughs> there might be something here we we don't know about well, I do have one other thing to uh, kind of touch on because I get asked about it a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, there's a New Orleans, a New Orleans connection because um, apparently, like, as the story goes, uh, in 1902, Jacques Saint Germain arrived in New Orleans, and he claimed to to be the count. And he lived at 1041 Royal Street, um, like on the second floor. And apparently police were called to the location after a woman leapt from the second story balcony um, after he went to bite her neck, like oh. vampire style. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the police like knocked on his door and he said, uh, pretty much like, nope, that woman's crazy. And they said, well, we're going to be back in the morning. You stay here because police at that point were super trusting. And they showed up the next morning and the guy was gone and there was um, bottles filled with like a mixture of blood and wine. And so they've nicknamed him Vampire Jack. So being intrigued by this, <laughs> I have looked into it and I can't find, I can't find any police reports or newspaper articles or anything like that. Mm. It sounds so like, I yeah. people ask me about the New Orleans connection. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it looks like you need to ask Kolchak about that and then like strangle <laughs> I think that's that's where you've got to go with that one. I think. But that, I think that one's kind of interesting because there's an actual address. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, something happened. Something they happened. like to uh, share that on the walking tours, apparently. Wow. I've never been to New Orleans, so it's on my list of places to go. But, um, you know, I'm a big Anne Rice fan, so that's, <laughs> that's initially why. But Yeah, yeah it's a double. You know, whatever. Anyway, thank you so much for giving us some of your time. I really appreciate um, you coming on and, I, uh, and putting up with my rather ramshackle uh, 
sort of uh, <laughs> list of questions because like it's such a I mean it just feels like this is something we could probably do like six or seven shows on and still not uh, cover you know the uh, the uh, the count properly um, it's so yeah you can you kind of bounce around like all over the place with this character like because one thing leads to something else and and you know there's there's stuff that I I don't focus on like. I do not focus on the I am activity, uh, which was, which was like this, uh, new age movement, um, based off of Guy Ballard's meeting in 1930. And I, I'm really just not, that's not what I'm after. Mm. Um, that's a lot of like ascended master kind of stuff. And there's, there's just no, um, I can't look at that objectively mm. like I can the other stuff. Yeah. I mean, um, if nothing else, I suppose it, it witnesses to the vitality of the figure, the figure, the, the fable of St. Germain, you know, and, and his, and his ability to sort of, um, be reinterpreted or, you know, engaged with by all, in all sorts of different ways, including that episode of Cold Jack, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back through and, like, rewatch that. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be very disappointed if there isn't a chapter in that in your book. I'm going to, you know, I mean, when that, when is the book? You've, you've worked such a long time on it. When do you think you might it might find itself in the real world in print? When when do you think that might be? Uh, probably, like, not, not for at least two years or something. I, I have to go, I have to save up some money and go over to England mm. and, uh, and the rest of Europe and stuff. I have like a whole list of places I have to go yeah. and, um, uh, figure out what to do with my, my dogs and, <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, so it's in the works. I just, I need to do some, some additional research, but it has to be hands-on. And another factor is I, I do not, read German. So that's going to take me a little extra time. I, I can, I can make my way through some French and Latin and Italian and stuff, but German, I just, I just don't get German. So maybe if we know someone that listens to our show that would like to help you when you come over to Germany. <laughs> I've had a lot of offers from people to help me out. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where, I don't need it until I'm over there, but it's great to know that people are willing to help me out. Yeah. That's you know? Great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and I, I also probably try and read uh, the Outlander series because St. Germain makes an appearance in, on, on the show. I know that for sure. Um, and I guess in the books and I, I went to go read the books and my mom gave her copies over to her sister. So they're not here. They're, down in Tennessee, <laughs> it's across the United States. Um, but, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And if and if he's still out there, if you if an interview with Saint Germain himself in the as the last chapter, that would be that would be quite something, wouldn't it? That be. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't go beyond that, really. That would be the the the, the icing on the cake. That that really would because like um, my, my my blog and my book. It's it's called Finding Count St. Germain. So that's going to be the title of the book right there. Um, and maybe I will find him. I don't know. But I need to get out there and, you know, yeah. I just need to get out there. Yeah. What, about, what about Elon Musk? 
Do you think he might? He, 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 that's. Do you think he might be cancer? Right? That, that possibly. I don't know. He's that sort of figure. I mean, he's an alchemist. He's a. He's on the cutting edge of of of, uh, of <laughs> I technology. Don't, I don't think so. I I, I don't think that's uh, the counts. He might, but he might be someone who would know the counts. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 Uh, actually, one thing that I I did because I have you ever heard of that Reface app? Yeah. 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 Um, it'll put like your face on like a model's body or something. Uh, I took the, the portrait that was painted of, of the count during his lifetime. And I put that into reface and I was just like, well, let's see what he would look like with like men's hairdos, you know? And it really like, that was really interesting because it pulled out all these, um, key features that I, I don't know. It was just, it was just really interesting. And so now I have a different uh, perspective of what the count might look like. Mm, yeah. Cause I suppose the, the painting we have of him, he's probably wearing a wig, isn't he? And um, yeah, he's wearing a wig. Cause he, he's, he uh, has black hair. Yeah. So that's interesting as well. So yeah, with modern technology, maybe we can, we can identify him. <laughs> and, you know, I posted some of those, I have a Facebook group, you know, if anyone wants to, Get in the Facebook group. Guess what it's called? It's called Finding Count St. Germain. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, I posted some pictures and everyone was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And I I don't know. I, I have this desire. I think it's because I went to art school. But I, I need to know, like, what he looked like. Mm. You, you know, like, I, I want to know what he looks like then and what he looks like now. And because that's... If, if I write a story or something, I always, always like draw my characters. I know exactly what they look like. And I, you know, I have all these extra details and I feel like I'm lacking that. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. so like I'm out to, um, I'm out to look for business documents on him. And like, he supposedly did a, a number of paintings, but I've never seen any. And, you know, what happened to all those jewels? Um, I think some of them got destroyed, but I mean, the, he gave so many jewels to like Madame de Pompadour and stuff. There, there's there gotta be something. And that's, that's the kind of stuff that I'm out to find primarily. Sort of hard, hard evidence, literal hard, hard. evidence. <laughs> yeah. And that's because that's, that's where the historian in me goes, yeah, we're doing the right thing, you know? <laughs> and if I meet him in real life, that'd be cool too. Um, I don't know what we'd talk about, but I don't know. I'd, I'd probably just like ask the lamest questions or something. I, I don't know. Just get the timeline out and tick off the stuff that's, <laughs> that's real. Anyway, so if people want to find you online, where's the, uh, the best place to, to get you? Finding com, And are you on Twitter or? Um... Oh, uh, I'm on Twitter. It's electric ether is my, is my username. There's no spaces or dots or underscores or anything like that. It's um, just electric ether because I'm also a big fan of Nikola Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and there's the aforementioned <laughs> Facebook group as well, the Finding Counts and St. Germain. 
Right. And if if you find the Facebook group, you'll find me. Okay, great. So uh, again, thanks for coming on. It's been a real pleasure. Um, and we're, I think maybe uh, we'll have to sort of, I'll figure out another way of getting you back on because I, I find this topic absolutely mm. fascinating mm. and we'll, we'll uh, I'll figure out a, a different angle perhaps that mm. we can talk about him and uh, mm. have you back on in, in the near future. Yeah, it's left us with more 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 questions and answers. <laughs> yeah, I can talk about them all day. So <laughs> it's, I was trying to really figure out how to limit all of this, and it seems like we just did a a pretty decent overview. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Anyway, brilliant. Thanks so much for that. Yeah, yeah no problem. Thanks for having me on. And we are back. That was an interesting conversation, wasn't it, Mr. Foster? Absolutely, and um, um, an intriguing subject, which I've, I've, I don't know a huge amount about, but uh, is sort of presented more questions and answers, and um, inspired uh, an appetite to find out more. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting links in there. Um, ones I'd like to look at further. I mean, especially the Masonic stuff. I think that was mm. quite. A, and I'd like to know more about his alchemical past as well. But yeah. yeah, it's the it's sort of esoteric sort of underbelly of, mm. of the masonry and Freemasonry. Yeah, I, I, I foresee a Count Cagliostro show uh, oh, yes. in, in, our, in our immediate future. But uh, yeah, so if you're interested in that, let us know. And if you want to let us know, um, join us on our Instagram, at Sitting Now, Twitter, Sitting Now, um, and obviously sittingnow.co.uk, our web home. Um, but yeah, uh, if you, you know, have any suggestions for guests or or topics, um, we're always welcome to hear them. Um, I can't think of any that would be off the table. Maybe I don't know. There must be some dodgy ones that you know. I don't know. I can't think of any in particular. I'd like to do one on theosophy. Actually, I think that'd be quite interesting. It's not not an area I'm re- very well versed in. If I'm honest about it. So. I mean, well, you know, we we we, you know, if we don't learn something from these things and you know mm. yeah exactly anyway uh so apologies for the late episode this week um we'll be back of our normal planned scheduling next week i'll try and find someone in the same time zone for once i think that'll make a nice change but anyway uh we'll see you next time bye <laughs>